0: EMSradio.com.
1: EMS information for the next generation.
0: The EMS Garage is a production of EMSradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, just search EMS Garage. You can find us on Twitter, at EMS Garage. Email us, EMSGarage at gmail.com. Or call us, 303-720-6001. The EMS
2: Garage.
1: with this vehicle. checking out
2: right now. Okay, I got the uh, DC on the phone there I Want to know if uh, you can handle that call as well. they confirming you are checking the patient. Yeah,
3: 22, is
0: on Hello everybody and welcome to the EMS Garage, the week before EMS Today, and I'm your host, Chris Montero. Hopefully, we provide you with some entertaining flight um, entertainment, Just kind of weird that I would say that. Uh, poor Dr. Ross is trying to come on. Tonight, we're going to talk about the immobilization, or lack thereof, and uh, a new paper coming out from NAEMSP, and some of the people from from Dr. Bledsoe's group and things like that. We're also going to talk about EMS today, what we're looking forward to when we get out there. And if you're going, you can actually find us. We'll be there. We're actually not doing the podcast studio this year. We're doing the mini podcast studio suite in Chris Eldridge's room. Poor guy. Uh, but we will be having lots of booze, and uh, apparently um, Scott Kear's bringing it all, uh, and we'll have a lot of fun. So come on by; you wait, can see what? us
3: there. Oh, wait. I, I heard you're gonna. I heard you're gonna supply, and yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Driving a hot rod with all of it in the trunk.
0: <laughs> well, Mr. Tim Noonan, uh, first tell people who you are, where you're from, and
3: uh, are you going to be at EMS today? I am going to be at EMS today. Um, <clears throat> what part of where I'm from? Since I've moved around so much. And wh- I-, I thought you were in Pennsylvania. Sort of. And where are you now? Uh, both Pennsylvania and Maryland. I don't work in Maryland, though. Do you live there? Hmm. Let's find yeah, you. Can we find of. you? Um, my I split my time between Pennsylvania and Maryland. I would move to Maryland if they had better protocols, but... I'd get fired if I tried to work under their protocols. They're about a decade behind Pennsylvania. Gotcha.
0: So in case anybody's wondering, Tim Noonan's IP address is 12.1. No, dot one. teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> in case you wanted to find him, no, I'm teasing. So, uh, are you going to come and hang out with us at the podcast suite? Of course. Right on. All right. Very cool. Um, I'm always excited to get you on camera because, uh, that's a, that's a good day. Yes, the Sasquatch. <laughs> right on. Mr. Scott Keir, you're going to be at EMS today. Are you going to do some co-hosting with me? Because you may actually have to take over most of the hosting of my show there, but eh, we'll talk about that later. Absolutely. Um, if
4: you'll have me, I will.
0: I love you, brother. So uh, what have you been up to? How's the weather? You know, all that jazz that you love to talk about.
4: All, all, all that usual jazz. Let me tell you something. Um, I we, we have the distinct possibility that we are going to make it through a New England weather, winter with less than a foot of snow. Cumulatively,
0: there is Uh, no way.
4: It's it. it was sixty degrees with the sun out today. I'm I'm loving this. This is this is my kind of weather.
3: It was beautiful here too. Wow. Yes,
4: yes. But all all is well on the home front. I'm I'm on vacation until the fifth of March, which is even better. And I'm uh, looking forward to to trucking south with my trunk full of
0: booze. And what are you drinking tonight?
4: You know, I, I spent the day watching NASCAR and, and and drinking cheap beer. So so right now I'm, uh, I'm I'm beer free. No way. Yes, it happens.
0: Wait, wait, wait! You were watching NASCAR without alcohol? Isn't that like a sin? No,
4: no, oh no! I was watching NASCAR with alcohol. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. I
3: just want to make sure. Is we're... that yes. legal north of the Mason Dixon line? <laughs>
4: They're good races today too.
0: Uh and did they were there crashes? A couple. Okay. Alright. See that that's the only reason I would watch to watch the crashes. And
4: a little, a little bit of foreshadowing, I did not see a single person see sponge for the entire race.
0: Uh nice. Alright, well anyway, so we've got two guests out of the way. Let's uh let's talk to the next two. Mr Patrick Lick this I can never I can never say your name
2: so close Lickus Lickus
0: Like L- so I want to say lick See, I want to say lickus like lick the mic. That's,
2: That's exactly what it is
0: lickus? Lickus, I know. But I want to <laughs> say lick this. But uh, I I always get it wrong. So miss so sir how you been? Where you you know what you've been up to? You it's been like 20 years since you've been on the podcast, so whatever.
2: You know, actually I I don't think other than Expo I've ever officially been on a garage podcast. So this may be a first.
0: No, you lot. no 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 no. I know no, you've really. been on. Really? Yeah. You were on my you were on my Skype account. There's no way you weren't on a podcast before.
2: I don't know. I think you've been he, on a podcast. He was been.
3: on uh EMS research podcast and first few moments and oh, that's probably why. something uh, else. Okay. Alright, fine. But well
0: I so then,
2: made my way to the garage.
0: You did, and it, you know, we, everybody wants to make it to the garage, but when they get here, they're like, why am I here? <laughs> anyway, so, it's, so Patrick, uh, since it is your first time on the garage, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do.
2: Uh, well, um, Patrick Lickus, um, I, I am most notably known for writing the 510medic.com blog um, and uh, working with Scott and Sam on a couple of side projects. But um, I have worked for about 10 years for a large national EMS provider. Uh, I think that was vague enough. And uh, recently moved from California to Michigan. Um, and you guys were talking about the weather earlier. We're expecting a foot of snow tonight. Um, so, Scott, that should hit you guys, what, in a couple of days now? But, um yeah, just getting settled in here. I recently took a QAQI job uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, so I'm back behind a desk and trying to uh, work on improving my system. And, actually, it's fortuitous that we're talking C-spine tonight because I was actually meeting with our medical director about uh, working on a project to do away with it. So ah, I can too early.
0: How fortuitous of you. So I will tell you two things. One, I'll be in Pennsylvania uh, mid-May, right around Mother's Day, that week after, I'm going to be in Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, talking about community paramedic with your state um, ambulance association. Really, Brian? I can't oh. think of his name. So yeah, I'll be there. So look awesome. us up and come let me come know. see us. All right, I will. I'll definitely. I'll tweet you or something. Let you know. Excellent. And you're, are you going to EMS today or no?
2: I am not. I, with the new job and the the new house and the uh, one year old, I, I couldn't find the time away. So hopefully next year.
0: Right on, okay, brother. Uh, Miss Sam Bradley, how about you? Uh, are you coming out? You're coming out to EMS today, I know. Are you working for Settler, or what are you doing?
1: Well, that's kind of a good question. There's there's a few things kind of uh, on the schedule that could happen, but I just uh, kind of freelancing a little bit, so I'm hoping to jump in on some garage podcasts, and I'm meeting a whole lot of people there. And you know, our FRN TV group will be there, so there'll be a whole lot of activity. It's not completely gelled yet, as far as. Uh, what we're doing when, but I expect we'll figure that out soon enough. But I know it'll be a good time because all you'll be there.
0: Well, it's always a good time when I'm in town, so, you know, whatever. I'm, just, I'm teasing. Oh, you've got to go to the pub, uh, the EMS Today pub crawl that's going to go on Friday night. That'll be a ton of fun. I'm sure Scott Kerr will be there and be going,
1: I love you guys
0: with, his, with all of his... Oh, well,
1: um, we'll talk more about that. You know, yeah, yeah, that'll be funny. Thing. There's a bunch of things going on Thursday <laughs> and Friday, so it'll be Interesting. I'm sure
0: it'll be. I'm sure there will not be any debauchery at all. Uh, Also, joining us finally, Dr. Dave Ross. How are you, sir?
5: I'm fine. I'm here for the next Republican debate. Um, (laughs) Is this? i in the right place. (laughs) Uh,
0: Why would you care? I mean, really? I mean, honestly, anymore, I don't care. I'm. I. They're all the same. you know, I think Mitt Romney and uh, Paul Ron, or Ron Paul, whatever his name is. He's got two first names. You can't get it Paul right. Paul Ron. Right. Okay. Anyway, I think they're in cahoots, and I think there's going to be some kind of weird thing if Mitt Romney wins the nomination that he's going to probably get his son to be vice president. Candidate or whatever, Whatever. who knows? I don't know. I think that they're last night they went after saying Torum really badly. I thought that was. Are
5: you implying that Ron Paul and uh, Mitt Romney might be gay or something? I'm not sure what I, I may have misunderstood what you said there.
0: I'm just saying that they are in cahoots, that they perhaps are going after San- Santorum, Sanctorum. I can't even pronounce his name. See, how can you run for president if you can't pronounce your name? I'm just saying. So anyway, I think they're going after him.
5: Anyway, apparently this is not the next Republican presidential debate is what you're saying.
0: No, and I, w- I would never ask you to do that because, okay. well, we love you. And you're quite awesome. So uh, Dr. I don't have the hair to be the other two name, <laughs> uh, two first name guy who, who wants to be Gingrich really seriously. Uh, uh, I meant Rick Perry. Oh, okay, nice. <laughs> He's got pretty cool hair, by the way. I agree. Uh, so Dr. Ross, um, yes sir. We were just getting ready to talk about the lack of a mobilization, um, or should we do it? Um, Dr. Blatzod sent us this paper uh, from NAMSP back right. in January. And we were really, we started talking about it in the email and, and you had some definite opinions, uh, uh, maybe against it. I don't know. I don't really know if I would call you against it, but you had, um, some definite opinions about it. And so did Tim Noonan, but I want to set up the paper. Really. The paper said that perhaps we're over immobilizing people and maybe we don't need to be doing it as much or if at all, And that the injury happens at the time of event. And what are we really saving by putting somebody on a long spine board? Perhaps we're actually causing more injury when we put people on a long spine board with decubitus injuries and um, uh, other muscular injuries when we don't really need to do that. And you're saying no. Tim saying yes and I'm kind of in the middle I, I could go either way with this so dr. Ross tell us why you think we should continue to immobilize people or do you think that do you think it's all um, do you think that that us not immobilizing people um, basically people are trying to take away all my crutches as a paramedic you know they're taking away my oxygen they're taking away all of my drugs and cardiac arrest and now they're taking away my stinking immobilization I have nothing as a crutch as a paramedic
5: uh, don't forget intubation.
0: Oh, Um, doggone innovation. Yeah, they took that away, too.
5: Right. Um, You know, I I think that there's um, legitimate concern about over mobilizing people. I I really get that. Um, And I I agree with that whole point of view. Um, All I have tried to say is that in order to um, show that we can um, effectively and not harm people, um, without mobilization is to show that um, you know through through uh, research, and um, I think that unfortunately with with spinal injuries, or fortunately depending on how you look at it, probably one percent of all of the people that we immobilize have significant spinal pathology that's going to need some sort of operative intervention, and so when you design studies to evaluate. Um, whether some a uh, procedure or a lack of a procedure is safe or not, you need to have it powered, or you need to have enough people in it to include those people that are actually hurt, because those are the people that you really care about. You know, if we're not going to use a spine board or we're not going to use a cervical collar or whatever it might be, um, and we have enough patients to include those that are really injured, what is the outcome? Um, that those people um, experience versus those that are immobilized. I mean, I, I have my gut feeling like uh, a lot of people that we, I know we over immobilize people. I know that the spine board is uncomfortable. Uh, I know that it causes potential problems. But um, conversely, if we're going to switch to some other modality, especially if we're going to do away with these things, is there increased risk to a, a patient or not? And um, I'll stop there and let everybody else chime in, and I have other points down the road.
3: All right, Tim, I know you're chomping at the bit. Go, dude. Well, uh, with any treatment, we should have evidence that it works before we start using it. We have absolutely no evidence that spinal immobilization has ever protected anybody from any injury. We do have evidence that it causes harm. So, how did it get to be the standard of care? It's traditional and traditional treatments when they're studied almost always are found to be more harmful than beneficial leading patients to uh, get rid of the bad humors and yeah you know, uh antiarrhythmics for post myocardial infarction uh PVCs you know we constantly find that we're killing more people than we're helping but the idea of studying it is opposed until there's finally evidence of harm. We need to reverse this and say we need evidence of benefit before we subject patients to this. Otherwise all we're doing is alternative medicine, you know, like homeopathy or acupuncture or any other treatment that has never passed any scientific study. Okay,
0: well, but we, so Tim, I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a minute and say but people say that this thing works. I mean we've gotta we've gotta keep their spine in line and we've gotta do the right thing. Um, why are you saying that doesn't work? I mean what science do
3: you have to back up your claims that it doesn't work? any claim that is made without evidence should be dismissed without evidence. So the burden of proof is on the people who claim that it works. There's no evidence that it works. I could say that hanging them by their feet protects the spine and we need to get some sort of contraption in the back of the ambulance where it's high enough that the patient can be suspended by their feet and that this will protect them from spinal motion. But you know, I don't have any evidence to prove it. It's just as ridiculous as spinal immobilization, but you know, it's not traditional.
0: Uh so I would I would argue that everybody thinks that bondage works, so I'm just I'm just going with you there. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just going, just heading down your road there. Uh anyway, uh um Scott or uh Patrick Sam, do you guys have any uh thoughts in this area or I mean who, who, what side are you guys leaning on? Have you have you seen injuries due to um, immobilization, or have you seen people that you know? Uh, I think the classic one for me is they drop dead because they turned their head after they weren't immobilized and whatever. So, uh, what what are your thoughts? Well,
4: well, actually, what I find interesting is no. oh no, Patrick, go right ahead,
2: go right ahead. Thanks, Scott. I um. <clears throat> I actually have two two anecdotes about spinal injuries. And one was when I was working as an EMT in a rural system and we had the patient walk into the emergency room uh, and we were there for the trauma transfer, walked in with a C1 and 2 fracture. Um, and so everyone's got that one patient. But I feel like that argument gets used a lot for reasons why we should spinally immobilize. Every system has the one patient. Like Chris, like you're saying, the patient that turned his head and was uh, quadriplegic from then on forward. Um... But, uh, you know, we, we have, I I think there's a middle ground there. I think that, um, you know, the, the traditional approach has been the long board and the rigid collar and, you know, the head restraint and the straps and the whole nine yards. Um, and it doesn't have to be that. I, I think you can effectively reduce the movement of the spine, uh, um, with with other means, I mean, you know, Sam in the chat here had mentioned the KED. Um, you know, there are soft collars floating around. There, there are a lot of ways to do the skill and to to get the outcome that don't necessarily require the longboard. And I think that when you look at a lot of the complications, it's the way we apply the collar. It, it further distracts an already displaced injury, and it. It's looking at decubiti. Um And so if you don't necessarily need a patient on a longboard and you don't need to use a rigid collar um, and you can find a better way, uh, you know, that, that might be something that, that would be worth studying is can, can we use an alternate method to get the same effect that we think we're getting with traditional spinal immobilization with not as many risks or not as many, uh, you know, levels of uncomfort for a patient. And
3: Scott,
0: what about you?
4: Uh, well, I am. I am a firm believer that we over immobilize patients, and I think that it comes down to two things. I think it comes down to fear of litigation if you do screw up, because that one screw up could cost you a lot. And I also think it comes down to the lowest common denominator. Um, there's been many studies done and, and systems to have tried to clear c spine, some more successful than others, um, but. What, what it comes down to is, is something that plagues EMS as a whole and that's people are afraid to give us the ability to do things because they're afraid we're going to screw it up um, because they, they treat the best paramedics with the same regard as they do, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, the, the lesser educated paramedics.
0: Dr. Ross, what is your response to that? I mean, I think that, um, I don't know, you you brought up some ideas that uh, paramedics or EMTs maybe can't pick up paresthesias, but does that really matter? I mean, if we're, let let me me take the devil, let me take the middle road here and say, what if we were just putting on C collars on people that were mildly injured, but we're keeping them on, you know, we're keeping inline stabilization uh, without using a backboard. Is that, uh, is that perhaps better?
5: Well, I, I think it's possibly better, but we don't know for sure. And I think I mentioned when we were talking about this um, via email a few weeks ago that I actually put forward an, an IRB um, to our hospital system to to study just that. Could we uh, mobilize people satisfactorily, and would there be no adverse outcome if you just put a collar on somebody and let them ride in on the cot, like you know, Will Dunn's service says? Um, and I actually pulled that IRB request back because it dawned on me that in order to answer that question, we would need so many patients. Because, like I said earlier, you need patients with injuries to, to show whether or not they've been harmed. Um were uh, not harmed compared to the standard treatment to see whether or not it's a problem. so uh, in theory, I think that's a good idea, and I think it probably would work. Do I know it and has it been proven? No, not at all. And our problem is is that uh, you know I, I get where Tim is coming from and Patrick, but um, like it or not, for thirty or forty years, the board and the caller have been sort of the standard and yes they haven't been been subjected to uh, you know the requirement to prove their efficacy but that's that's the standard that we live with and so what we have to do is if we want to do away with those one or the or both you have to be able to show that there's no harm to patients if we do that and all the rest of this is just opinion we haven't shown that so um, it might be better to just put a person on a cot or on a vacuum splint or on a foam uh, covered you know backboard you know or no collar or a collar that or, or a, an immobilization with a vacuum splint that 's brought up around the sides of the head. who knows we don 't know um, you know we just we just can 't say that it 's any better or worse
2: well and, and i 'll ecu- echo what Tim was saying earlier then shouldn't we have to prove that a treatment does work and and doesn't harm patients? I mean, because we've been using a longboard for so long, it, it's largely traditional, and, and I've never read an article uh, that says that it actually does what it's supposed to do. So before we... Institute a treatment or before we agree on a treatment, a new one, you know, we had to show that CPAP worked and we had to show that capnography, you know, was better than pulse oximetry. We, we had to show all of these things before they were added to the scope of practice. Um, and I think the same argument can be made of, of spinal immobilization as it's traditionally performed. There's no evidence to show that it works. And so we've, we do it because we've been doing it all along, but that, that doesn't make it necessarily good medicine.
5: No, but I think it makes a lot more powerful argument if you, if you address the issue head on in, a, in, in an appropriately powered study and say, look, this offers no more benefit than riding in on a cot or any other device that's underneath them. And, you know, we're showing it, you know, pretty, pretty de- definitively with thousands of patients that it makes no difference. But like it or not, over the past 40 remember that the trauma system's all began you know primarily out of um, uh, an unrecognized cervical spine injury in a patient who I don't know how they managed them, but they, they clearly were not immobilized in any way shape or form. and so um, in the 70s that that kind of led it was the nidus, to de- developing um, you know the trauma system idea and pre-hospital uh, role in all of that. And so we've been stuck with this thing for years and years and years. Um, and it's, I, I, I think that while it hasn't been subject to the requirement to prove its efficacy, we're sort of stuck with you know the fact that it's the standard and the expectation. So debunk it. But it has to be done really well and not just with our opinions, in my opinion. I, I think the
4: debunking, though, is is almost there, and and it, the, the the debunking portion of this lies within the number of discharges that you see within six hours from an, from an emergency room of people who were involved in motor vehicle accidents, and you know, I I, I guess the the thing that kind of still eats at me with all of this, and and you know, Doc, I hope you don't think I'm I'm putting you on the spot by asking this, but. Do you really think that we do an effective job C-spining patients in the field?
5: Um, that's a great question. Um, some better than others, but I think it's a mixed bag. You're right. Um, I thought you were going to ask, do, do we do an effective job of clearing people in, in the field? And in my own experience, no, we don't. Um, I'm talking about EMS standpoint. Um, so, but but your question, I'm I, I, you know, I think you certainly see all kinds of. Um, quality immobilization, if you will, but some of that relates to the medics and EMTs that are involved. and some of it relates to the parent, to the patient. Um, you know, if they're combative or whatever too small and the equipment's not sized right, you know, some people are going to be immobilized better than others, you're right. Um, but but to me, there's more to it than that. So in the, in the relatively rare event that you're going to have somebody with pathology, they have an injury, um, and somebody decides to sue. Um, and we're going to look retrospectively at everything. We're going to look at, you know, whether they were properly immobilized or not, whether they were put on a board or not, And if not, what was the problem and, and could that have complicated their outcome? All of those things get get put into question. And right now, what I'm saying is that we don't really have any solid evidence to refute, um any dispute over the quality of immobilization or the fact that they weren't immobilized um, in in court or in, in a peer review issue
2: so what was and just out of curiosity when you did the IRB what was the the n that was calculated to to make that statistically significant
5: well that's a great question um because we didn't have a statistician at that time statistician I, at that time I had the I had the um, uh, the approval of the IRB to go ahead with it, but at that time around that time the nexus study was coming out and they had thirty five thousand patients um and and that um, that's the you know the 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 clearance rule that we generally use and so i I knew that um, even though I didn't have a statistical background, I knew that roughly one percent of our immobilizations were patients with pathology, and we were mobilizing maybe, I don't know, five, 600 patients a year in our system. And so that, that I could not I, – I needed to have a multi-center sort of approach to it. And at the time, which was about seven or eight years ago, I didn't have the network um, to really get, get other, other centers involved in that whole thing. And I just didn't think it could be a viable study. And uh, since that, we AMR in Colorado Springs, where I work, we've added a Ph.D. um, who does our statistics, and he could actually calculate power, but I, I couldn't. I just didn't have the knowledge to do that. But I knew that there was no way in several years just in Colorado Springs that we could answer the question, and I just didn't think that it was worth embarking upon because we couldn't answer the question. We didn't have enough power In the study, without involving many other centers, and we had no grant money. And and understand that I work in a private hospital setting, in a a, with a private EMS service. I have no university affiliation and really not much research background. So um, the resources that were needed in order to pull this off were not available. That that might be different, you know, in 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 the future. Um, It's it's a really interesting question, and but you need to recruit and we have to calculate the numbers, but you need to recruit a lot of sites to address the issue.
2: Okay, thank you.
0: So what about the idea of just maybe using a scoop stretcher versus uh, a, a backboard? It seems like the scoop has more room for uh, a patient's back and allows for more of a, a an area be, behind there. And then let's talk about the idea of using a vacuum splint. I mean, there may be more efficacy in that than actually using something rigid and 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 firm that. Uh, doesn't allow for a lot of movement and causes decubitus. I mean, does that seem more appropriate as we look at this and say, um, and then I'm going to challenge Dr. Ross about his idea that paramedics can't adequately clear spines. I'll, I'll go there in a minute. But um, but let's talk about the different mechanisms to immobilize people. What about uh, the scoop and what about the, the vacuum splint?
5: Are you asking me, Chris?
0: Well, anybody. I mean, what do you? How do you feel about that, Doctor Ross? I mean, do you feel that the scoop is a good thing, or or the sure. vacuum splint? What about the vacuum splint?
5: Well, I, I think they're fine. I, I think that it really seems to me to matter. Well, first of all, there's a difference between the cervical spine. We all know that, and the dorsal and, and lumbar spine. The, the dorsal and lumbar spine are, uh, you know, really held in check a lot by substantial musculature. So you're less likely to have movement of the dorsal lumbar spine, at least in theory, than you will with the cervical spine. So I I, I get all of that, and I think that the spine board is one way to keep people from moving. But I don't, at least in my mind, and it's not proven, but in my mind, a vacuum splint or a a spine board with, um, say, the back raft, the inflatable raft-type device – or styrofoam, or you know, or, or foam. I mean foam rather than styrofoam. Foam um, or, and I think there's a device from a paramedic that was um, developed in Washington State that has cooling um, and cushioning device. Uh, the capability. Turley
0: pad, the Turley pad right. rocks, yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah, yeah. All, none of those have been studied, but they're all designed to kind of make people a little more comfortable. The whole idea is to not allow the potential for excessive movement. And in theory, all of those are great. And, and I, But do we know for sure that one is better than the other? No. And that includes the scoop. Um, I think the, the, the point of all of this is that, at least for the short term, how you immobilize somebody in, and don't allow them to move in the most comfortable way is totally reasonable. And I think we should be pursuing that. Um, but and I would love to see the spine board, you know, um, uh, taken out of the uh, out of the, um, the our toolbox. But we we really kind of have to show, I think, that you know what, there's no benefit to it. There's no benefit to it.
3: We have evidence that there's no benefit. Uh, the study by Hauswald back in '98 showed place as much disability among patients who are immobilized as those who weren't. And there's absolutely no evidence of any benefit. You could say the same thing about spine board as you said about every other treatment that you mentioned. We can make up anything we want, and there is no evidence that it improves outcomes. The only thing we know makes outcomes worse is the spine board.
5: Right, and I, I know the Oswald study pretty well, um, and it, it was done in Malaysia. You know, people arrived by rickshaw or however the heck they got there, um, and, and some of them arrived by ambulance and, and spine boarded. Um, it, but but
3: none of on, them him. did in Malaysia. Uh, the ones in New Mexico did. Oh, that's All right. Of- that's right. They all by. According to the article, they said they could never remember a single patient arriving with any kind of immobilization, while when they quizzed the people who worked in the trauma center, they said in uh, New Mexico, they said they could never remember any patient arriving without spinal immobilization. Okay, But You're that's right. the best evidence we've got. And, and it's not very good. And we've got 50 years of tradition unimpeded by progress, unimpeded by any other scientific investigation. We're trying to say that this witchcraft is the standard of care, and it is just witchcraft. It's based on somebody's hunch and no evidence and no testing, and people are opposed to testing it. It's completely unethical no, no, to do this. This is not a, medicine.
5: No, nobody's opposed to testing it. The question is, well, how anybody needs fund to do how? a study? Well, then, but but it's easier. I, I believe me. I'm involved in studies. It's easier to say do a study than it is to make it happen. Um, you, you've got to have funding. You've got to have you know people that are interested in resolving the question. And and getting on with it—it's a hell of a lot of work. The best way um, to
3: do it is to make it a prohibited procedure until there is evidence of benefit.
5: But that's not going to happen. You,
3: you will have—that's what should happen.
5: Well, okay, uh, and, and, and what should have, coulda, would change a lot of things, but it won't change a lot of things. You still have to convince the trauma community who are receiving our patients, that, you know, that the spine board or whatever substitute we're using for the spine board is not needed. So what like they do when, when my medics show up in our hospitals is, what the hell? What's going on with with the fact that this patient had a potential for a spine injury and they're not immobilized? They're not on a board. They're not adequately immobilized on a collar. Write me a letter and tell me why it is uh, or what it is you've done to educate your medics so that it should be, Uh, improved in the future that's reality that's what we live with and you just because the fact that we're on a podcast and we're debating this issue doesn't make it right it's not going to get out to the rest of medicine and all of a sudden tomorrow they're going to wake up with a wand and glenda you know the good fairy is going to just convert them into what the heck were we doing Um, you have to show in a quality way that this thing doesn't work And all of our opinions are just that.
3: Every time that something like this has been studied, we've found that it doesn't work and that it causes more harm than benefit. So we need to stop uh, enabling uh, these anti-scientific people who somehow made it through medical school without understanding the scientific process, yet they're saying this is the way it has to be. Um, they're also still using the digital rectal exam when there's evidence that they shouldn't be doing that. Uh, some of the trauma doctors are very progressive. And I think that some of them would be in favor of doing this study because they understand science. They understand research. They understand medicine. But spinal immobilization is not medicine. It's like throwing salt over your shoulder or doing a little voodoo dance or something.
0: I, I'm I'm a little pissed at one thing already. Um you were downplaying the fact that we're on a podcast. Seriously? I mean come on, Doc. So uh but beyond that, I'm 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 teasing by the way. Um uh, beyond that I think that um I think what's important though is I don't think the Nexus study really delved into the idea that um we're really taking care of, of patients beyond their injury. We're, we're maybe we're uh, protecting something, but I, I think that there's more injury that we cause from spinal immobilization than actually the injury or, uh, that, that's caused at the time of incident. And I think that we're worried about the one percent when we really should be worried about the ninety nine percent. And, and I think it's less than one percent. It's probably no, like the, a, one the one, the
3: point one percent is the of one percent. The 1% is the most important part. The people who have the potential for spinal injury are, you know, if you take triage, you treat the most seriously injured people first. They're the ones we need to be most concerned about. But, uh, strapping them to a backboard and forcing them to conform to a backboard into a collar is not motion restriction. It is manipulating the spine in a way that suits the people doing the immobilization. It's not protection. It is manipulation. We're just arguing over what method of manipulation of the spine we're going to use. And if you have somebody who is at all combative, your alcoholic who has fallen down and has a bump on their head and is at high risk for a bleed and other things, including vomiting, we strap them flat on their back and we say, no, the airway is not that important. Putting them on a board is what's important. If we have a patient with dementia, we do the same thing to them. They're not going to cooperate. They're not going to listen. We've talked with patients with dementia, and you can talk to them all you want. You reason with them all you want, and they're still going to be combative. Fighting against a collar, head straps, is going to result in more stress on any unstable fracture than transporting them without uh, strapping them to a board. Uh, Doc, what's your feelings on that?
5: Well, I, I, I agree overall. I, I think that Tim has good points, but um, I'll just pose, and, and I'm actually going to be giving a talk at the Rocky Mountain Trauma Conference um, in Breckenridge in June on uh, a related topic. It's not exactly the same, but it's, it's called uh, uh, cervical spine clearance in the field, why we can't do it. And, um, and I was a big proponent in our system for pushing – the the clearance uh, protocols per, based on research, and we have real trouble, you know, complying with that, and we missed injuries. So um, I, I think that I I get where Tim is coming from, but um, uh, I think that you know if at this point in time today, if you were to um, not immobilize somebody, um, or we weren't immobilizing anybody, and they have pathology and somebody wants to allege um, that their injuries are significant and they look at the whole spectrum of care. Unfortunately, we're stuck with the standard of immobilization. And I agree that, that there, are, there are people that really shouldn't be forced onto a spine board, somebody who's really kyphotic, an elderly individual, Um, somebody who's really combative, uh, somebody who refuses. uh, Those are special situations, and we just have to deal with them. But uh, all things equal, um, where somebody turns out to have a a cord pathology, um, and we're looking at everything from A to Z, today, in today's world in medicine, mobilization is still the standard.
3: Okay, so what how do we, we to do is the- get the lawyers to come after the people who are doing the immobilization and say there's no evidence of any benefit of this? There is evidence of harm. Take it to a jury. Get some huge settlements for causing spinal injury, spinal disability by immobilizing the patient, and that'll put an end to it.
5: Well, I don't think that's the way that it works in in medicine, and
3: you. You'd- We're talking about a courtroom, not in the medicine. The courtroom is entirely different from medicine. You just have to have the most persuasive expert on your side. And all you have to do is persuade a jury of 12 people who are chosen because of their lack of knowledge of medicine. So they don't really care about the 50 years of tradition unimpeded by progress. They want to know, is there any reason why we should believe that this spinal immobilization practice uh, could have caused the injury. And there is evidence of worsening of injury from the Hauswald study. There's no evidence of benefit. So it'd be pretty easy, I think, to convince a jury.
5: Well, I, I wouldn't want to be in that situation to test it, number one. but Yeah, but well, two, nobody
3: wants to be on either side of a malpractice case. It's always going to be uncertain. But that's the but thing. That, it's uncertain. We don't know.
5: Well, I, I know. But I think you would you would find, um, and this is, is pure speculation on my part, but I, I, I think you would find more people willing to test testify as experts that this is the standard of care and it wasn't followed in, in this particular case, hypothetical case. It wasn't followed. Um, and then you can go on from predicting what the potential for injury was. Uh, I think you would find more people saying, yes, this is the standard of care today, um, and and it wasn't done. And therefore, the jury can make a decision based on that.
3: Yes, and but what does it take? One uh, expert. But what does it take? The jury decides what the standard of care is, not the experts. But Tim, I, I, so we're we're talking about we're talking about things that perhaps um, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, okay. People hypothetical. There's no reason to believe that spinal immobilization does anything beneficial. So, bringing reality into it, we need to take spinal immobilization out of it. So, Doctor Ross, why don't you think that paramedics can adequately clear a
0: spine? I mean, I was taught in school to do it a certain way. I was taught by a physician, and
3: he taught me how to do it. And no, 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 no. I, I no. Final I don't. Normalization find... limitations, the Nexus rule, the Canadian C spine rule—they're all just variations of how we do spinal immobilization they presume that the patients with spinal injuries are actually going to benefit from being strapped to a backboard what they're doing is just limiting the harm to the people who are most likely to be harmed by spinal immobilization
0: so dr ross what a, so earlier you made a statement that you don't believe that perhaps uh, paramedics can clear spines Uh, Explain why and why you feel that way. I mean, maybe it's a system problem with your system or maybe it's a training problem in the organizations that that train the paramedics that come into your system. I felt like I received more than adequate training and more than adequate training in how to do it in the ER uh, under a physician's tutelage. Um, Maybe I'm missing something, but it it feels like um, it's right to me to be able to at least Tell a patient that uh, what they're experiencing is, um, or, or at least clear what they've got as not a true spinal injury, is more muscular, or nothing at all.
5: Yeah, and we, you know, believe me, we all know that paramedics clear spines in the field all the time, EMTs do. Uh, we know that that happens. Um, what I tried to do a few years ago in our system was implement uh, the Nexus um cervical spine clearance rules in our system because it was research tested and it's a set of five items and um we 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 try to train our people um to do that and we've had some significant misses in fact some of them i can't really talk about uh, because the two-year statute of limitation has not run out on them yet but um And part of that is that maybe we didn't train our medics carefully enough. Another part of it is that there really are some subtleties and um, problems with the nexus rules themselves that make it open to interpretation, especially for people who don't have maybe lots of experience. But we even saw problems in, in our medics who had lots of experience. Um, part of it is is that um, some of the things that the nexus rules leave out are actually fairly significant issues to weigh in on, um, and and I think part of it, and I don't know the answer to this fully, Chris, but because I haven't looked into it yet, but I will, and I think part of it has to do with the way paramedics are trained in school um, and how they are or are not trained well enough to do like a peripheral neurologic exam, which is a big part of of the NEXUS um, rules. The, the Really, the only two research-validated clearance rules out there are the NEXUS and the Canadian C-spine rule. And the Canadian C-spine rule um, is a more cumbersome, complicated rule to use the NEXUS, and so it's generally not used as much. However, it does incorporate some things that the, um, the nexus rules do not. Um, for example, like mechanism. So um, mechanism is not a factor in the nexus rules at all. It's, it's understood that the person that's doing the clearance accepts the idea of mechanism, but it's really not broken out. Um, and age is not incorporated into the nexus spine rules. And we know that patients that are more elderly, whatever you define as elderly, um, are more prone to significant spinal injuries that with less trauma mechanism. So those aren't in the Nexus rules. Um, and so what I'm saying is that while it looks like the Nexus rules are pretty simple on their face, they're actually a little bit more in depth and complicated and open to interpretation. And I think all of those reasons are reasons why we fail to identify people, with partial spinal injuries, we all can recognize the quadriplegic, and we know to spinal them. And we can recognize a paraplegic, and we know to spinal them. The problem is with those people, the, the cow is probably out of the barn at that point. Um, it's the subtle spinal injury that you'd like to keep from getting worse, or at least showing that you tried to keep from getting worse, that we miss on.
0: Uh, Patrick, you had your hand raised, so I'm going to you next.
2: <laughs> I guess that works. Um, I, I was just curious for, for Dr. Ross, um, if if there was any sort of theme to the misses, and obviously he can't you know, speak about specific cases, but um, a lot of systems allow paramedics under one criteria or another to clear uh, the need for spinal immobilization, which I realize is the, the real question here. But um, if there was something specific that wasn't done. My my gut instinct is that um, watching 10 years of paramedics palpate the spine directly, um, a lot of them don't actually palpate the spine directly. And so I'm curious if maybe that was something that came up in his system or if there was some other theme um, that ran through some of these these important misses.
0: Because they're palpating the transverse process. Who cares? (laughs) I mean, seriously? Come on. Uh, you know, they or the spinous process, whatever they they need to actually do some other exercises to make sure that that the rest of the, the the spinal column's intact. And it it's not just about that one space on their spine. Okay, you're clear. It's about every piece of it, the movement, the the checking up and down, right, left and right, all of those things that are important to clearing a spine, not just going, mm, yeah, I, p- I palpated it, and it's fine. You're, you're checking one aspect of a, uh, a three-dimensional piece of, of bone that really needs to be thoroughly assessed, and I think that perhaps as paramedics, we're, we're overconfident that that, that that assessment is uh, the end-all, be-all when it's really not. Uh, Dr. Ross, would you not agree with that?
2: But that's how uh, most docs do it with this nexus criteria. Do
5: what, Patrick? Exactly. Say that again. Well, that
2: that same palpation that Chris is is describing the the, right. the you know spinous process.
5: Yeah, no, we do, and and I agree with you that um, yeah we are palpating the spinous processes, and you are assessing for tenderness, and it has its problems, and uh, you know technically lateral neck tenders is not. The same as spinal tenderness, but it's all in the judgment of the beholder. But in, in specifically with, with EMS, where I've seen problems, and you can understand maybe after the fact why this happens, um, the, the two things that I find that are, are most common is, and this is not even in Nexus, but it's a failure to appreciate the mechanism, the fact that there is that potential for being there, And then it's a failure to to carefully do an extremity neuro exam, because in the cases that I'm thinking of, there were deficits um, in the extremity neuro exam um, that just weren't picked up, and I and I I know they were there, or they were they were even documented to be there, but failed to be appreciated Um, because maybe there wasn't enough neck tenderness. Um, to go along, and they just didn't quite understand how it happened. Um, and and I, I'm not asking medics to make the ultimate diagnosis here. I'm just saying, look, uh, you know, there's a there's an injury potentially. We can debate about whether it's significant or not. We've got some paresthesias, maybe a little bit of weakness. We may or may not have picked up on it, but but all of that right there should indicate an immobilization. These are not people who should not be immobilized. They should be, not because it does any benefit, I agree with Tim, but because I believe that's the current standard of care. And if somebody wants to go come back to us and say, you know what, I have these, this weakness in my upper extremities, and when we look back over the whole course of care, your medics fail to recognize that I had a spinal injury, and I might be better um, than I am now if they'd immobilized me. We don't have any proof for that. But but that's ultimately what could be alleged.
0: But the opposite is true too. We don't have any proof that it didn't or that it would have helped. So I mean, I get the I get the argument for the legal piece. But if we were all afraid of lawyers, we would never get anything done. So why don't we? We need to move this thing forward. We need to move it beyond where it's been in the ems lore if you will and move it to true research and how do we do that without actually taking risks and take, taking chances to say you know we don't think this thing works and, and they go to malaysia and they throw you in the back of a pickup and you're actually fine you're actually better off than if you had been immobilized or whatever so how do we how do we find these results and actually um make them part of true research and pr- true practice improvement for our systems
5: well, I, I think we need to design a study to, to, to answer the questions. We need to be pretty specific on the on the question. What is it we want to answer, and we need to, you know, see if we can put together a, a, a group of sites that want to participate. We enroll patients and we do it. And and you know what, I think the answer is going to be similar to what we're all feeling on this podcast, which is that. Um, you know, there may be no benefit. You know, we don't really want, it's a matter of degree, we don't really want somebody with a spinal injury that's able to walk up moving around. It's kind of like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. We don't need to prove that that's a bad thing. So probably excessive motion, whatever you define that as, is, is a bad thing. Um, the question is if we can get them, you know, to not move so much, which is the best and most comfortable way to do it? Um, but you need to have develop a you know a specific question and answer the question. And I think it would be a, a, a good study. But just just talking about it is a totally different thing than putting it together and actually producing it. But I think in order to make inroads with um, organized medicine, the trauma services, the orthopedics, and spinal surgeons, emergency medicine, you know, so that you know we're saying, you know, we've got some evidence that shows this does not benefit patients. And I don't even want to argue about the harm. I agree that there's potential harm, but let's just set that aside. That there's really no benefit to these patients whether we bring them in on a cot without a C-collar C-C or without a spine board, and there's no there's no there's no out, outcome worsening in this regard. Therefore, why are we doing it? That's a very powerful statement, but it's it's a huge job, and it will require grant money and a lot of work to do it to answer the question fully and that's all i'm
3: saying and we should be putting pressure on people to get somebody to do this anything we do that encourages people to actually do a study large enough controlled well enough to answer this question is something that we need
5: and i agree with you tim i do i think that that it in theory, I completely agree that, you know, the, the board is, um, uh, you know, uncomfortable, awkward. I don't know if it's as bad as people make it out to. I don't know what the evidence is to, for DQ, but I, I know it's anecdotal. Um, but, but in any event, you can clearly get people who had no complaints of spinal injury just sore from just laying on the board and now you know potentially they're going to get an x-ray of their lumbar spine when they had no injury just because they've been laying on the board i get all that i think you're right but um but the rest of medicine does not really get it i don't believe um it's kind of like when you know we started using entitled co2 in the field and we brought it into the hospitals and and people in the hospital are going what the hell is this how does this work? Um, well, you know, this is how it works, and we explained it. And, and, uh, and now you'll see more and more hospitals that are using entitled CO2. Um, it, it came from the field, and we brought it in. Um, and, and we're sort of stuck with the spinal immobilization piece in the same way. We're saying this, and we believe it's true. It's probably true. But you, you have to do more than that to convince others um, that, that that's, in fact, the case.
3: Well, when you have the patients who are brought in without uh, spinal immobilization and you identify uh, something where you feel they should be immobilized, do you put them on a backboard?
5: Uh, no. Uh, well, I don't know. Do you I mean,
3: put a rigid EMS collar on them, or do you put something like the Philadelphia collar, a much softer uh less irritating collar, less pressure on the carotid arteries um, on the patient.
5: In our place, they get a Philadelphia collar.
3: Um, and, and that's part of the problem. We're using yeah. different collars. We're using different techniques because we've set it up so we can drive uh, 80 miles an hour with the patient on the board in the back so that that kind of speed will not move them around too much. And instead of setting it up so we can do the Mario Andretti thing, maybe we should be uh, slowing down our driving if the spinal uh, injury is the main concern with the patient and looking for something that is less irritating, something that is going to keep the patient from moving in a way that's likely to worsen whatever uh, injury they already have
5: I think that's that's reasonable um, yeah I, I I mean again I, I I concur that there's a paucity of serious evidence all I'm saying is is that in order to change people's perspectives that are not on this podcast and not listening to this podcast you, you know you need to have more than just opinions
3: yes but Part of uh, this podcast is changing opinions and getting enough people to realize that spinal immobilization is not something that is based on evidence. It's based on tradition. It's something where at the time when there was no evidence, it seemed like a great idea. And we just never have, you know, one of the things that I've been saying for a while is that for anything that is based entirely on expert opinion, where there are enough patients who can be studied in a controlled study, we should require that the study be done or take it out of uh, the standard of care, take it out of the guidelines, whatever, You know, like epinephrine for cardiac arrest. It is being studied. Well, well I, it has been studied. I don't think there are any current studies. Uh, I think amiodarone, just, just, lidocaine.
5: Right. I, I think those are both being studied, but I think there was a, lo- a recent study just incidentally on epinephrine and cardiac arrest, and it did look fairly positive. But
3: but I agree Unfortunately, it w- the Jacob study in Australia, uh, the local politicians decimated the study. It went from being uh, a huge study to a tiny study because almost all of the um, EMS systems that were going to participate, uh, the politicians said, oh, you'd be depriving people of the standard of care, and... The politicians change things. It wasn't the doctors.
5: Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um, but it, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you in, in concept overall. I think that, um, you know, um, I, I'd like to see it. It's, a, it's an interesting challenge to see if we could do away with it altogether. But I'd like to be able to show what we think is going on, which is that it's not adding any benefit and potentially is adding harm.
3: Well, doing away with it all together, maybe what we need to do is just find a different way, maybe a vacuum splint, uh, maybe... Uh, something that goes on top of the structure that is like an air mattress and uh, allows the patient to sink into it a bit and just not be jostled so much, but it's not completely restricting them. So that when people, you know, a lot of people are claustrophobic. You strap them down rather than hold still. They start fighting against whatever uh, you've strapped them down with. That's only going to put more strain on the injured parts of the spine, if there are any. And if there aren't, it's just irritating them.
0: Great points, as always. Um, Patrick and Scott, Sam, do you guys have anything else to add to this conversation?
2: I just kind of wanted to throw out there that, you know, why don't we do the flip side? Why don't we design a study that proves that Traditional C spine is safe and efficacious. Oh come on, you that's heresy! Come on. Heresy, I tell you. Come but on, that would be great. Again,
3: that's it's what, it's what
2: Tim is saying. We we should prove that the skills and the treatments that we're doing are are safe for the patients and improve outcomes. Otherwise, we shouldn't be doing them. If if I want to add something to the scope in my system, I have to prove it's safe and I have to prove that it benefits the patients. Why not do that with stuff we already do?
3: It, it, it won't happen. It's fine.
2: It's well, okay. I know that, but it should.
3: Things do get studied. Uh, antiarrhythmics were used for patients who had had a heart attack and were having PVCs. Uh, the study was cardiac arrhythmia suppression trial in 1989. Up to that point, the drugs that were studied, Tambacor uh, was the big one, were like the Viagra of their day. They were... Um, the multi-million dollars because there were no billion dollar drugs then and when they actually did the study they found that two of the drugs were killing patients at two to three times uh, the rate of placebo so We did away, we used to give lidocaine to everybody who had chest pain and we gradually moved away from that. Then it was, uh, anybody who had ST elevation and, uh, then it was more than six PVCs a minute, R on T, uh, couplets and more. And, you know, now very few patients are getting lidocaine or amiodarone based on Ectopy because it hasn't been shown to make things better now we did away with droperidol in most places because of qt segment prolongation and if you want to cause that amiodarone is your drug it causes more torsades than droperidol does but you know we still use that for people with arrhythmias hey we, i'm giving
0: we'll myself lidocaine it. right now seriously come on <laughs>
5: I thought
0: you were giving yourself propofol. Uh, propofol. Uh, that's, that's only. That's only for like when I want to go to sleep, um, and, and I want to be Michael Jackson. So, uh, so let me let me get this straight. So, you guys are saying that perhaps spinal immobilization is good. Maybe it's bad. We really don't know. And at the end of the day, um, we really need a couple more studies to prove it. Why do I need studies? I'm tired of studies. I just want to do it. Um, I think Will Dunn's done a lot of good work around the idea that um, we don't need to mobilize everybody, and in fact, they don't mobilize. They mobilize very few, and they've they're looking at getting IRB um, approval for some of their their work in Vail. I mean, they have people that hit trees for goodness sake on the ski slope, and they say you know what, C collars sometimes and sitting them up uh, in, a, in a semi-fowler position is uh,
3: absolutely perfect for those type of patients. But the difference between medicine and alternative medicine is medicine is what's been shown to work in some sort of study that actually looks at the results. And alternative medicine is the stuff that's based on, hey, what if we do this? This sounds like a good idea homeopathy, acupuncture, Reiki, you know, the magic hand stuff, uh, jazz hands. It is impressive looking, but it's just a placebo. There has never been any study of these things that has shown that they do better than placebo. Actually, with homeopathy, there have, but there are so many studies that have been done that it's well within uh, what would be expected just by chance.
0: Ah, okay. So, yeah, homeopathy, blah blah blah. You, you're well, we you're talking, be you're talking, but you're no talking pseudoscience. Medicine. I mean, that's all pseudoscience. Exactly. So, I know. It's so, not science. Right. It's
3: not medicine.
0: Okay, so we're talking medicine.
3: It's placebo medicine. So it's unicorn medicine. Doctor Ross,
0: Doctor Ross, how much of what you do every day was proven in a laboratory setting or in some type of Study. Uh, how much of what you do in the ER every day is is perhaps sometimes based on what we think is right for the patient and not necessarily based on on true medicine and study?
5: Um, I would say that's a great question, and I was going to point that out. In the ED, um, I would say maybe 30% of what we do is just gestalt and not study based. I mean, this is just a wild ass guess. So, um, you know, but a lot of it is we try to be evidence-based, what tests we're going to order and what we're not. And it's open to, you know, subjective interpretation, of course. But I would say maybe 30% or so is not, you know, study-based. You know, it's just flying by the seat of your pants to some degree. And, and I would point that out with EMS. I mean, be careful what you ask for because a lot of what we do, and not just in the EMS but in emergency medicine, is really not Proven, uh, you know. I don't it's think it not- would
3: be a bad idea to demand more studies for all of what we do, if it can be reasonably studied. And I have been asking for more studies. So I, you know, saying, "Be careful what you ask for." This is what I'm asking for.
5: But, you, but Tim, Tim, it takes time and you've got to fund it and, and you can ask and demand all you want, but you, you won't get it unless somebody thinks there's, there's real value in committing their time and money to do it. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is.
3: Yes, and I don't insist that everything be done right away, and a lot of good research has been done. There was just a study of intramuscular midazolam versus intravenous lorazepam, which, although it had been studied plenty of times before, this was a large enough study to that it should convince all of the people who have been hesitant to say, Go with the intramuscular sed as the first line if there's no IV in place. You know, convincing study, uh, faster resolution of seizures and higher success rate, significant in both cases.
5: So can I just say that I never really cared about that problem? Um, I mean, it is interesting, but to me it was not high on my list to resolve that issue. But for somebody it was. For me I really don't care is is it nice to know? Yeah, it's nice to know.
3: Well, um you have a lot of people out there still using rectal valium. You know, we can say stop doing that. I mean, there are so many reasons not to do it. It's probably the least effective method of seizure control there is. Other than placebo.
0: Uh, okay, so Sam wants to get in, because she's dying. She's absolutely dying. She's like, well, I need to get in. Sam, go.
1: The Tim and Dave show. I didn't want to interrupt, but the uh, is, <laughs> for, for those of us that are dinosaurs, and there are a few in the room, uh, with Tim aside, who's obviously a very progressive thinker, but when you go back...
3: I'm a dinosaur, too.
1: <laughs> when you go back to the beginning of time, and we were beat to death about C-spine and why it's so important, and we didn't... Question: Who made that decision, or why it was? And, and you know, I have been teaching that all these years that that's the standard, and there's a reason for it. And you're lying, you're open yourself to lawsuits if you don't do it. So it's not just the matter. Enough well, to have good evidence for not doing it is we're going to have to change, a, uh, change the culture in the field when we're taking something away from them that they believed is you know saving people. So
3: you know, that too. Yes, well, we do the same thing pretty much every time that we come out with new ACLS guidelines or when we revise the CPR. People are adamant that they were taught a certain way and they don't need to learn anything new because if they were taught one way, that's the right way and they know that it works because they've seen it work.
1: But that's my point, Tim, but at least. With ACLS and CPR, you've got the AHA that has strong medicine behind what they do. We're talking about something that nobody really understands why we're doing it in the first place, at least some of us.
3: PHTLS is set up by the American College of Surgeons, and the head of that is Dr. McSwain, and he just refuses to discuss the topic. He is adamant that we should not be. Uh, immobilizing people with penetrating trauma unless there are signs of um, neurologic deficits. But other than that, he says, you know, for a few revisions of PHDLS, it's not been in there. And they made sure that they put it in the most recent PHDLS that you should not immobilize patients unless there are neurological deficits uh, for penetrating trauma.
1: Well, and that kind of thing is the standard. So, you know, when it when it comes through those kinds of merit badge courses that the medics are required to take, they're more likely to believe it, and the, and the system changes will follow.
3: But in other areas, Dr. McSwain is very progressive. Uh, one of the studies of the harm of oxygen in trauma was done by him. So, you know... You've got doctors who are progressive in one area and not in others. And, you know, it just goes to show you that doctors are human, too.
5: Yeah. I'm happy to be un- unprogressive in every area. <laughs> Consistency is so important. Well,
3: you're using Skype, so what does that say about that Skype?
5: Yeah, I don't know.
0: Okay, so I hope we're wrapping this up, uh, Scott or Patrick. Do you guys have any any last words on this topic? And we're literally like at you know, an hour and twenty on this, and people are gonna be like, "Okay, I'm tired of listening to spinal immobilization So, uh, any last words?
4: I I'm just gonna, really uh, think that everything phy- could have.
0: Oh, you both <laughs> win at once, Scott. Go that's Scott.
4: Hard. I I really think that everything that could possibly have been said about this has been said. Um, I really have nothing to add. I mean you know I, I shared my thoughts I feel that we cease spine too many people and hopefully we can get the training and uh, fix this and actually expand our care instead of thinking it about thinking about it is taking something away from us.
2: I'm gonna email my medical director tomorrow about hosting a multi-center trial.
0: And then he'll be like, can you get IRB approval for that? And why would you want to do such a thing? And that's heresy. And my God, you're going to get me sued. That's what he's going to say. say.
2: Dr. Dave Ross already got IRB approval. Oh, there you go.
0: See, and, and you can say, and, and here's his number. Let me have you call him. He's that's right. He's medical director for AMR in Colorado Springs. God dog. And is the goodest, bestest, uh, medical director in Colorado Springs there ever was. So, and my
5: teeth are white. Too.
0: And they are, yeah. Yep. Are you, are you going to EMS today, sir, or no?
5: Uh, no, I'm not. I'm be uh-huh. with you in spirit, but I am at the Eagles now. I just uh, I just landed at the Eagles, and I'm really looking forward to. So I'm in my hotel room here in in beautiful downtown Dallas, and I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, Doctor Peppy and Doctor Fowler singing. You know the old favorites like Hotel California and uh, Life in the Fast Lane and Take It Easy. So I think concert is tomorrow sometime, and I'm really I'm really happy to be here.
0: It's exciting. Someday I'll make it there. One
3: someday of the topics they have tomorrow to. is about spinal immobilization yes. and whether it should be used.
5: Hey, Tim, i got a question for you then. How is it, since I'm a registrant at this course, and two days ago or a day or so ago, when I looked to try to find the agenda for this thing, because I've never been here before. This is my first trip down here for this course. I think they, I, they just had, put
3: it out today. You you you
5: are seeing it, and I have not even seen it. We were just, John Riccio is here, Dr. Riccio from uh, Denver, and uh, Rick Lewis from South Metro Fire. We rode in together from the airport, and none of us had seen the agenda. And I happened to see Dr. Pepe in the downstairs, and I asked him, I said, what time does this thing start tomorrow? And he goes, oh, 730. So, I mean, as I walked up to my room, I still had not seen the agenda. So I'm glad to hear on the podcast that you have.
3: Uh, if you do, uh, just do a search for Eagles 2012 and Agenda, it should be uh, the first or second thing that comes up. If not, uh, Fossil Medic has um, a link to it. I have a link to his post on uh, my blog, so if you can't find his, you can go to mine. It'll link you to his, and he has the link to the actual Agenda
5: Oh great! I will check it out, thanks. Because I had not seen it at all. It's kind of weird. I've never been to a conference and not have seen the agenda as I arrive in for the for the actual conference. That's unusual.
3: It they have uh, about ten minutes per topic for most things. They're doing the uh, seizure study that I mentioned. They're looking at um, the thresh, uh, threshold device. Um, that was See, studied and stopped early yeah. because of uh no change, which I don't understand at all. I mean, that's telling you that there's not a reason to stop the study. You've already paid for almost everything except for uh the analysis, and they right. stopped it early because of no dramatic change. That, then, that's the rescue
5: uh, part, yeah.
3: Yes, that's it. And then there's one on... uh, uh Therapeutic hypothermia during CPR, I think, and uh, one on uh, the autopulse study, the CERC trial. And then they have a roundtable of 20 minutes of those participants uh, discussing the pros and cons of the studies. And toward the end of the day, there's uh, one on the... Uh, benefits and disadvantages of spinal immobilization.
5: Great, so it'll be fun to talk about, it. and we'll hopefully bring some stuff back.
0: Uh, someday. I'll make it to Eagles. Sounds That'd good. be fun. That'd be great. Gathering of the Eagles. US. 2012 brochure blah 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 blah. Go there. Go to gathering of the eagles.us and you'll find out more information. Um, it, it's probably a little better than the e- NAEMSP conference, but we won't tell them that because the NAEMSP conference is in January in really warm places that we really like to go, like Florida and Arizona. So. Uh, each have their place, and, um, Dr. Ross, you'll have to come on. I will, I wanted you to come on at least in two weeks and tell us about the gathering of the Eagles. Next week we'll be at EMS today, so we'll miss you, but, um, I think two weeks you should come on and say everything you learned there. Um, okay. gener- generally, I get, um, Dr., I get a couple docs on that went to the Eagles, and we talk about it. Uh, last year we had Dr. Wesley talking about, um, some of the funnier things that happened at the Gathering of the Eagles. So I would love to have you on to tell us um, either the serious things or the funny things that you observed while you were there. Well,
5: I'll give you the pigeon's perspective. And <laughs> um, and I can tell you that I already saw Dr. Peppy downstairs in the middle of the night with his sunglasses on. I'm not nice. quite sure what that means.
0: He's gambling. Anyway. He's gambling.
5: Yeah, it's okay. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. He didn't want us to see his eyes, that's for sure.
0: Hey, do you remember that 80s song, I wear my sunglasses at night so I, I can so I can be something. I don't remember. No, I don't. Thanks. Know, thanks. That's going to
2: be stuck in my head for hours.
0: <laughs> ah, Google it. You'll love it. All right. So, um, Dr. Dave Ross, where can people find you other than gathering of the Eagles this week?
5: Oh, my email address is drdr0682 at com.
0: Very cool. And Tim Noonan, where can people find you?
3: Uh, rugmatic.com, paramedicine101.com. Um... Uh, the podcast here and there uh, trying to start something up with uh, standing orders but still haven't gotten things uh, straightened out there and uh, well, I will be seeing you next
0: week. I can't wait. I'm excited. Uh, Bring your own. Remember that. Bring your own to the
3: podcast. Studio Oh, yeah. What I drink is not popular with a lot of other people. Absent. No, uh, it's uh, an AL called Arrogant. Well, I'll leave the other word out because it's a family show. Yes. (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. It's named after me. I love it. I love it. Right on.
0: Uh, Miss Sam Bradley, where can people find you?
1: Oh, I'm just thinking about Tim and alcohol and having a discussion like this. That's going to be really interesting. Do, are we going to give him alcohol before the podcast? That could be really
0: interesting. No, 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 no. You have to bring your own, and we'll provide the mixers and and, well, like, the, and the, the video the, camera like, the excitement. and
1: podcasting, you see.
0: Well, but it's going to be a it's going to be a video podcast as well. So people will get to see you drink in front of the camera, which will be a lot of fun.
1: Oh. well, uh, Sam Bradley eleven on Twitter, Sam Bradley on Facebook, and in and around all of FirstRespondersNetwork.com. And that's pretty much it. And I look forward to seeing all of you that are in Baltimore next week.
0: Cool. Patrick Lick-is. lick Lickis lick lick I don't remember. No, it's Lick-is. It L- lick Lickis lick Lick without the sis. It's Lickis. Where can people yes. find you? I, I'm, I'm getting there, brother. I'm hearing you. How about
3: Simpl- 510 lick. Medic? We'll just call you 510 Medic. That's, easy. that's the simplest that's, that's, that's pronunciation what does... possible. What was that, Tim? It's the simplest pronunciation pronunciation possible, as few syllables, as few sounds as possible, and you get it right. Exactly,
2: exactly. Um, I can be found at 510medic.com, and there's links there for Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus and whatever else you'd like to find me on.
0: Mm, all those sites, mm. We like evil sites.
2: All right. Uh,
0: sorry. I was I was, I was digressing. Uh, Mr. Scott Keir, where can people find you other than co-hosting my show from time to time? You need to co-host it more.
4: Uh, bring it. That's all I got to say to that is bring it. Uh, you can find me over at medicSBK.com. You can find me on Twitter at medicSBK and search Facebook for medicSBK. All
0: right on. Um, and I'm excited to have you on our show next week, and hopefully you'll uh, do me the the favor and the privilege of hosting my show, uh, perhaps while I'm doing some things for gems. So I'd really appreciate it, and maybe you'll actually you know step up and want to host the actual EMS garage from time to time. I don't know, you know, because you have such a smooth and sultry voice
4: <laughs> if you feel I'm worthy I'm in all
0: right so here's my here's my goal by the time we get to, to pinnacle this summer I want to be to episode 200 so that means I have to do about two episodes a week between now and then it's 23 weeks away I'm at episode 156 as of tonight I can get us to probably episode 170 by th- two weeks from now um, so Scott Keir, here's your challenge get us to episode 200 by, e- by Pinnacle. And hopefully we'll have a big bash because EMS leadership will be celebrating their 100th episode. We'll be doing our 200th episode and we'll be having a ton of fun. So that's my hope as we'll be
4: in the, in the words of one of my favorite websites, challenge accepted. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Well, I'm Chris Montero, Geeky Medic on all the websites. Join me at EMS today next week when we're hopefully providing you some coverage as well as some fun from the EMS garage podcast studio live from Chris Eldridge's room, which will be a lot of fun. And I can't wait for that. Um, Perhaps you'll see Scott Kier and I drinking a beer and we'll be providing you some other coverage from some of the pub crawls and other events. Um, I know that setla, and Jamie Davis and I and Krista Karamanis O'Brien and Scott Keir and Sam Bradley and Tim Noonan and a whole bunch of other people will be there. and It'll be a lot of fun, and, and we can't wait to have you. So come on by. Say hi to us. If you see us on the show floor or whatever, just uh, grab us and... And quite honestly, ask Scott Kier for his autograph because he needs it. Um, I'm Chris Montero. Have a great night. And we'll see you next week when we talk more about issues that concern you in EMS. Have a great night, day, weekend, or shift, whatever you do.